Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Well, I want to say thank you uh, to our worship team, to our choir for leading us in worship. They always do a great job. Amen? Amen. But today... I was excited when I looked up and I saw two of our students who were leading out with their parents. Uh, Brian Boone and Colton was there and then Wyatt, his mom was there. And, and here's the thing, uh, Whitney, Wyatt's taller than you. If you, you, you had a little extra help with your shoes, Brian, uh, you, you may have him just by a little bit, but it won't be long. But it was great to see them and I know you rejoice in that. A uh, couple of announcements I want to make before we jump in this morning. One is, you'll see the prayer request in there. Uh, Wednesday night our church voted uh, to establish a, a seven-member uh, task force to evaluate our church buildings and to determine what's the best direction in the future and the longevity of the gospel being proclaimed here. So I just want to encourage you to, to keep that on your heart, on your prayer, as we try to wrestle with uh, how to glorify God. The second thing is, you've been seeing in the news, and you've seen in the bulletin last week, we didn't get it in this week, you've seen it on the screen, to vote yes for number two. In just a couple weeks, we will vote as a commonwealth on amendment number two, and that one has to do with abortion. Uh, and I want to encourage you to, to, to vote yes. What the language in the, in the amendment is a little confusing. And it was done that way uh, somewhat on purpose. It happened, uh, the same wording happened in Arkansas, and they uh, overwhelmingly wanted to vote uh, yes. And because of the language, they they ended up voting no. And so I want to encourage you, uh, the amendment basically is trying to protect human life and abortion. And you'll hear more about that, but I just want to ask you to begin praying about that and how you will vote. All right? If you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're in verses 34, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 43 to 48. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this series um, uh, louder than words and and what it is it comes from Jesus's own mouth and when you read the when you read the Sermon on the Mount you notice there are certain things that Jesus keeps saying over and over and over one of those sayings is you've heard it said but I say to you and so that's what this series is all about if you continue to read the Sermon on the Mount you, you read a lot of you hypocrite and uh, as I've wrestled with that, I thought we may do a series in the future on hypocrites. But let's just be honest, when we think about those hypocrites, what they're trying to do is act like they're godly people. They're not trying to act like the world, they're trying to act like godly people. But anyways, so we're in this series, Louder Than Words, and we've, we've looked at the idea of adultery, we've looked at the idea of retaliation. Today we're going to look at uh, loving your enemies. And so I've titled it, uh, signs of genuine Christianity because the truth of the matter is that's our heart how we live how we treat people the whole gospel is on love and how love plays out 
But the truth of the matter is, we like a good villain story, don't we? We like to read books that have villains. We, uh, Harry Potter, um, Stephen King has a few. We just like uh, villain stories, The Godfather. So several years ago, PBS uh, did uh, The Great American Read. And it was eight episodes in which they looked at different novels that people just love to read. And each episode was a little different. And one of those, uh, one of those episodes on the, the 100 best novels was all on villains. And why is it that we just fall in love or we just like villain stories? And now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and there's nothing wrong. But man, sometimes we just like those guys who wear those black cowboy hats, or we like the guys uh, who are the villains in stories. And so, in that, in that episode, here are some, some people, here's some um, critics' reviews. They didn't tell us who, but listen to these reviews. Evil is interesting. Evil is exciting. Our heart's rate increases. Blood flow cha- uh, changes. Those are the things that get us excited about a villain. Here's another one. There are villains in literature because there are villains in life. Amen? Yeah. They allow us to see a little bit of what it might be like to go beyond the edges of accepted society. There's a, that's pretty true, right? Here's one. We identify with the villain. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you identify with a villain, but sometimes we identify with the villain. You can understand a little bit about what has made and shaped them. Their monstrosity doesn't seem foreign. And so one more. No, I think that's it. That's the last one I got. And so we like villains. Well, here's the thing. Jesus knew that. I mean, from beginning to to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, there's been those people, Cain and Abel. We see different things happen in Scripture of people who are evil might be called a villain. But the scripture is really clear on how we are to behave when it comes to evil. We're not to, to mimic it, but to flee from it. We're to, to move away from it. In fact, Paul says it this way in Romans 12, 1. Do not be conquered by, church, but conquer with good. There you go. Paul says, don't be conquered by it. Conquer it with good. Let's see. Timothy, 2 Timothy says this. Flee evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness. In other words, flee. Get away from it. Move. Don't let that evil take a hold. Psalmist writes this. Don't let me drift towards, there you go, or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. Scripture is clear about how we are to address evil. And so in Jesus' sermon, as he's addressed other things, he's going to spend a little moment and address evil. Because we all understand evil, we see it. Evil looks in a variety of different ways. It it, it looks like sheep in a wolf's clothing. In fact, there's a commercial I, I, I saw last week and 
It's, it's got this wolf walking around and, and it's got this sheep clothing on it. And I don't even know what the commercial is about, but I just get tickled that this actual wolf is moving with this sheep clothing and then they catch it. We know that. We've seen that. We've seen the evil side of people. We've seen the evil side of politics. We've seen the evil side of our workplace. So this morning, let's look at what Jesus has to say when it comes to evil. If you have your Bibles and you're with me, would you stand and let's read Matthew 4, or Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Verse 43 says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't Gentiles do the same? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, you may be seated. Here's your big idea this morning. Big idea is simply this. True test of genuine Christianity is how believers treat those who hate, mistreat, or persecute them. A true test of genuine Christianity is how believers treat those people who mistreat us, who persecute us, who mistreat us. Those things are, are going to happen. No matter what we do, no matter how life goes, those things are going to happen. So what are the things that we need to do to ensure that as those things happen to us, we're reflecting Christ? We're loving as Christ called us to love. So let me give you four things, and with each thing comes a question. So the first one I want you to catch is simply this. Loving everyone demonstrates God's standard in our lives. Catch that. Loving everyone, everyone demonstrates God's standard in our life. Now go back to Matthew 43. There's a kicker here. Listen to what Jesus said. You've heard it said, love your neighbor. What's missing from that? See, there's something critical missing from those words. And it's, and it's something that the, the Pharisees and the scribes truly knew. They recognized, but they were, were, they were so accustomed to just stopping at this moment. They didn't move on. They didn't press on. Love your neighbor. For a Pharisee and a scribe, oh, that's good, that's easy. But they never pressed on. Leviticus tells us this, and we, we saw this verse last week. Don't take revenge or bear grudges against your members of your community, but love your neighbor, what church? As yourself. I am the Lord. Here's the thing. 
This was understood but never practiced. There was an understanding to love your neighbor as yourself but did not practice it. The Pharisees understood what love looked like because they loved themselves and they loved their friends. But they didn't quite grasp the love your neighbor. In fact, remember Luke 18? We read these verses. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterer, or even like this tax collector. It's the whole idea. I am better. That's not loving your neighbor. That's loving yourself. That's making more of yourself than, than what God called us to do. He told them to love themselves as their neighbor. And what the Pharisees decided to do is just forget the end. They decided to forget that kind of stuff. For you see, they lived in a society where it was just about them. You understand that, right? We live in a society that makes more about us. We use catchphrases like, just do it. Have it your way. Or saw a movie this weekend, it was a good movie. Why wait for the good stuff? Let's just do it now. Now listen, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with those mottos unless they are your lifelong motto. Because it goes against everything scripture teaches. And the Pharisees lived that way and so do many of us. We're so consumed with what it is about us. We think about things that make us look good. We make decisions on what benefits our pocket or what benefits us. We never stop and ask, God, what do you want me to do? How do I love others? The Pharisees had a very narrow view of, of neighbor. I mean, we saw it there in Luke 18. When he, he looks and says, God, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. I'm glad I'm not like this. Rather than loving and helping, the Pharisees were always keeping people at a bay. Talking about them, reminding people how bad these people were. God's standard in our life is simply this, that we love everyone why? Because he loved us. And let's just be honest. I don't want you to leave this room thinking you're better than anybody else because you don't deserve God's love either. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But God loved us. And he sent his son. And his son loved us so much he died for our sins on the cross so that we could have eternal life. So here's the question I have for you today for verse one or point one. How do you demonstrate to others God's different standard? When actions speak louder than words, I don't mean do you stand on the corner and scream and shout that God loves them, 
but how do you demonstrate to people around you that there's a different standard you live in or live by than the world standard? And do people catch that? Or do they catch a bitterness or a greed or an anger or a self-centeredness? What do they see when they see you, when they see me? How do they perceive us? The second thing I want you to catch from our text is simply this. Loving as God loves demonstrates we are his children. We're his children. We belong to God. We're his children. And God sets the standard, and if we're going to follow that standard, it reveals that we are his children. Look at verse 45 again with me. So that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Catch this. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Here's the kicker. God loves the just and the unjust. He loves the sinner and the saint. He loves those who recognize him and those who don't recognize him. Jesus didn't come for just a certain group of people. He came for us all. And that's an element of us re- that should happen in our lives. An element that should reflect his love. We have that love and we demonstrate that love. People begin to see there's something different in our lives. There's something that, that radically changes who we are. There's an old story William Barclay will say, tells uh, in his writing of the Gospel of, of Matthew. It's an old uh, rabbinic story in which as Moses part, as, as the Red Sea is parted and as Pharaoh and the Israelites are passing through the Red Sea and, and God sends the water back over uh, Pharaoh and his armies, there's a story that is, you know, certainly not in biblical writings. There are other ancient Near Eastern documents, but it's not anything biblical. That the angels in heaven, when the Pharaoh and his army were swept up, were laughing and celebrating. And Barclay says this old document says that God said, why Are you laughing at the work of my hands that have sunk to the bottom of the Red Sea? Because Pharaoh was created by God. His men were created by God. And just because they were lost, why would we laugh and rejoice in their death? As people, we've got to be different. He tells us a way to be different there in verse 43, he tells us that we're to pray. Love our, love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Lifeway Christian Resource, um, the research, research side, has done some research on prayer. They ask a number of uh, people, uh, what, what is it you pray about? And see if this is... Uh, See if this is you. 82% of the people they uh, interviewed pray for family and friends. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but 
I think that that would be true. I think we all pray for our family and friends. 74% of the, of the time, people pray for our own problems and difficulties. Well, sure. I mean, having a hard day, trying to figure out how to, to navigate these things. What should I do? What, what can I do different? 37% of the time, people pray for our enemies. So, think about that. We're praying a lot for our family and friends. But for our enemies, we don't pray that often. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I was pleased when I saw 37. I, I thought that number might be lower. So you have to, in your own personal life, determine... How often do you pray for those who mistreat you, make fun of you, uh, say ugly things about you, you know, those types of things? In, in fact, I really thought this last one would have been in front of this one. 12% of the time, people pray for our government leaders. And then we wonder why our government's in the shape it's in. Let me, I'll just, let me, let me go over here. Do you realize that God loves the Republican and a Democrat? That both a Republican and a Democrat can be saved? And what they're trying to do is, is lead us in the right way? And we may disagree with their process, but we have an avenue to help that process and the question is, do we use that avenue? Do we pray for them? Okay, one of the other things I saw in that, in that report I thought was funny was there's a significant number of people who pray for the lottery to win. I'm not gonna ask you if that's you. The, the other is, well, the other thing that, that I laughed at, there's a significant number of people who pray for their sports teams to win. Listen, UK fans, Western fans, we did not pray hard enough yesterday. All right? So, anyhow. But, you know, there are certain things. It's interesting what we pray for. And it's obvious we pray for our family and our needs, but how much are we praying outside of that? Here's the question. What outward expression demonstrates you are God's child? What outward demonstration demonstrates that you are God's child? It's outward expression. How well do you do that? The third thing we see in this text. Loving everyone sets us apart from non-believers. Loving everyone sets us apart from non-believers. When we come to this moment, we, we notice that Jesus tells them, listen, the Gentiles are friends with Gentiles. They, 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 if we only love those that, who love us back, that's what the Gentiles do. If we only care about those who care about us, 
Well, that's not a tax collector. What good is that? God's standard is much greater. God's standard is something that calls us to be different. Loving those who love us, well, that's easy. I mean, we, we teach, at, we see that in the earliest age. Children come to those people who love them, who, who, who do something for them. Listen, for years, you know, for children, I mean, all you have to, you love on them and what do they do back? They love you back. God says, that's easy. But what are we doing to set us apart? What difference does that make? Because even the lost people do that. That's no different. Well, Matthew, six, uh, Matthew 5, 16, just a few verses earlier. Jesus said this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Here's the thing. We are to be different. We're to let our light shine. Now, if you know that whole, whole text there, he says nobody lights it and puts it under a basket. We're to light it and let everybody see. We're to light it and let the world know. We are to be different because of Christ. And notice... We're to be different, not so that we get a pat on the back, but that God gets glory. That God gets glory. I, I think we miss that sometimes. In our culture that is so self-centered, I think we, we get so hung up on, how does this affect me? What's the best for me? How does it meet my needs? What do we do for God's glory? What are we willing to sacrifice for God's glory if he calls us? It's all about letting our light shine. This whole uh, moment that we voted Wednesday night as a church to inform this task force team. It's all about letting our light shine. Oh, there's some things we could do that benefit us, but is it the best for the glory of God for the kingdom? How does he get glory? How do we make much of him? How do we ensure that in a hundred years we're still doing that? Not for people to say, look at us, but to look at God. We are to be different, which means we have a different approach, which means we have a different viewpoint, which means we, we do things differently. So here's the question for you. How are you set apart from the non-believing friends? How are you set apart? If you're telling the same jokes they're telling, laughing at the inappropriate things that they're laughing about, 
How are you any different? If you are agreeing with them in ways that, that are not morally correct or biblically correct, how are you different than they, than them? We're to be set apart. And, and listen, hear, hear me very carefully. This whole text is not really about who your neighbor is. It's all about the standard that God has set of love, of being different, of making a difference. And it's all about how you live that out. And so as much as you tell people that, hey, you go to church at Glasgow Baptist, if they don't see it in the way you live without speaking, then they question whether you really have a right or a relationship with God. So how do you set apart from your non-believing friends? How do, how do they see us? And listen, we're, we're going to be around, we should be around people who have different views. Who look at things differently. And that doesn't mean we, we walk into the office every week and we take our Bible and we, we show them our Bible and, and we stand and preach. They see it when we're not laughing. We're not hanging around to hear the story when we're going the extra mile. How, do you set, how are you set apart from your non-believing friends? Fourth thing I want you to see. Verse 48 shares with us this idea. Loving Christ, loving as Christ loves aligns us with the likeness of Christ. Loving as Christ loves aligns us with the likeness of Christ. The word there is be perfect. Now, let's be honest, there's nobody perfect in the room. Women, turn to your husband and tell him you're not perfect. That's your part. All right? Now, men, you can look back and go, neither are you. None of us are perfect. The Greek word there calls us to be complete. To be complete in Christ. Paul will tell us this in Ephesians 5.1. Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Imitators. How do you imitate something? You can't imitate anything unless you really know it. Unless you've studied. Unless you spend time watching and learning. Actors will tell you that if they take a role, they, they do an enormous amount of research on the person that they're to play. They want to know their characteristics. They want to know their habits. They want to know what makes them tick. So that when it comes time to, to portray them on the big screen, they're imitating them. They're revealing their character. 
Same is true for you and me. If we're going to imitate Christ, we've got to know who Christ is. We've got to study Christ. We've got to study God's love, his law, his righteousness, his grace, his, his forgiveness. And come to a place where we reflect that. So the fourth question for you today is do you see, do those who you struggle with see Christ in you? Do those who struggle, you struggle with, see Christ in you? It's real simple. Do people see Christ in you? Or do they see somebody who claims one thing and does another? That's the question. A few years ago, uh, in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, there was a young man in his house one night, and all of a sudden, uh, there was this loud boom outside his house. Uh, didn't know what it was, wasn't sure what that was, and so he runs out the door. In fact, I think I have a picture for you. Uh, the young man is, is here on, uh, on my right, and, and the officer is on the left. The officer was involved in a crash. His police cruiser had uh, been in an accident. It was in flames. It was a, uh, a, a delicate situation. Other first responders are on their way, but if they wait for the first responders, then likelihood is the officer will, will, will die. Uh, Dylan McLee uh, comes out of his house and he runs to the police cruiser and he saves the officer. He pulls him from the car and rescues his life. Now people ask Dylan, was that a difficult thing to do? And he replied, no. There's no value in, uh, there's no way to value a human life. We all are children of God. And I can't imagine uh, watching anyone die like that. Well, now, that's interesting because Dylan McLee in 2016 was, was charged and sentenced to prison for a crime he didn't commit. In fact, in 2018, he uh, appealed and won. In 2016, his sister calls from, from uh, a nightclub and says, hey, Things are getting out of hand. I, I need a ride. Can you come get me? Dylan, being the brother that he is, jumps in the car and he races to the nightclub, gets out of the car. And when he gets out of the car, there's a man in the parking lot with the gun waving at it around. Dylan um, takes the gun from the guy and throws the gun away. But what happens is police charge him with the shooting and all at the nightclub. Because an officer who even shoots at him says he had the gun in his hand. He's the reason the ruckus. And Dylan's like, no. So in 2018, he, he filed a lawsuit and overturned it. Because what happened was the nightclub had surveillance video. The court saw him take the gun away from 
the guy who created the problem, and throw the gun away. So people said, Dylan, was it hard to go rescue that police officer? You spent a year in jail. You didn't get to see your children. Your mother passed away while you were in jail. And Dylan said, no, it wasn't hard. Because we're all God's children. And I can't let one event change the way I see people. I can't hold that against them. God loves them. What an interesting story. Of anybody who could hold a grudge and not love somebody, Dylan McLean could do that. But because he is a follower of Christ, because he knows who God is, understands forgiveness, understands the grace and love that only comes from the Father, he ran out that night of the door into a burning police cruiser and rescued a person. How would you respond? If the person who causes you the most aggravation in this world, how would you respond? Would you love as Christ called you to love? Do you understand who your neighbor is? Do you understand that you're to be different than this world? This morning our hymn of invitation is simply just as I am. The question is, just as you are at this moment, how would you respond? Do the world see a difference in you? Do they see God's standard? Do they recognize that you are a believer, not because you tell them you go to church or that you, you confess Christ, but they see it in the way you respond? Or maybe you're here this morning and your actions don't speak very loudly. Maybe this morning you, you need to, to confess you need Christ. Maybe this morning you need to come to the altar and just say, God, I need to pray. These last two weeks have been difficult for me to hear about not holding a grudge and learning to love. Help me to do that. Maybe you've been offended. And listen, you've been waiting for somebody to apologize to you. The scripture tells us that if it's you've been offended and you're waiting for an apology, you're the one who needs to go making things right. One, they may not know it. Two, God's placed it on your heart. So maybe you need to come to the altar this morning and say, God, give me the words, the strength, the power to do that. Maybe there's, <laughs> we all have these in our families from time to time. Maybe there's bitterness and hatred in the family and you're stuck in the middle. Maybe you need to come to the altar and pray. God, work. Maybe there are other things you want to pray, maybe for the amendment, whatever. The altar is open in just a moment. We sing just as I am. The question is, are you good with just where you are or do you need to make a decision? Would you stand with me this morning?